G'day, I'm Scott Sanders, and welcome to the Reach Australia podcast. Reach Australia's vision is to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches across Australia. This podcast is a special grab from one of our learning labs. In 2021, the Reach Australia National Conference was live-streamed via state-based hubs, and we were forced to move our seminars and workshops online. Now, these are usually one of my favourite aspects of a conference. They're an opportunity just to sit down and wrestle with a small group of people about a key area that you're interested in. This podcast is all about making your first hire. Well, it's that and a whole bunch of other questions as well. In it, you hear from yours truly, myself, and Mike Sams, who's also one of the Reach Australia consultant coaches. Uh, Mike brings a wealth of experience from planting and leading uh, established churches as part of the Holy Trinity Network in Adelaide. And we really push into this question, what do you need to consider as you make your first hire? Hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, welcome to our first learning lab from the 2021 Reach Australia National Conference. Uh, it's a big one, making your first hire and other big questions. I've got Mike Sams here. Hey, Ron. Uh, let me just introduce Mike really quickly. Mike works on the Reach Australia team. He's one of our lead consultant coaches, uh, but he's also a church planner. So tell us about your church planning experience. Uh, with the Trinity Network in Adelaide, I was one of, one of the plants in the north uh, in Golden Grove that we did six years ago. Great, so we have uh, an expert church planter or experienced church planter, I should say, answering these questions. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of questions and, and that big question at the start, making, uh, making your first tie is going to be the question that we dive into first. But I just wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, at last week's conference, we spoke really briefly uh, about the ecosystem and the Reach Australia framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to point to that a few times during the course of uh, today's webinar, just to sort of uh, give us a foundation and a bit of a grounding as we point into some of these key questions and answer them. Uh, so you'll see up on the slide there just the ecosystem framework slide. From last week, one of the key take-homes for me was that the whole church mm. disciples. It's not one program or one ministry system in church life, but actually the whole church disciples and sees um, you know, maturity come in the life of a believer or in the life of your whole church as well. So we're going to be pushing into that a little bit through today as we, uh, as we answer questions. So, so let's head into that first question. This is the reason you guys have, uh, have joined us online. Can I encourage you, if you do have questions, uh, put them in the chat bar and we'll, we'll seek to get to them. But the way today's webinar uh, is going to be working is that we'll have sort of three blocks of content and then you'll have an opportunity to interact and ask questions. And, uh, and we're hoping it's gonna be really helpful for you and uh, your church planter journey. So this first one, uh, how, how do you make your first hire? What are some key principles? Well, if you're a long time listener of The One Thing, you'll see that I regularly refer to uh, Gary McIntosh's uh, book and, and this slide that'll pop up on the screen. He's got some uh, really helpful uh, principles. And the first one uh, that he says, uh, Further on, uh, James, if you can push down to um, that one there, the staffing principles one. Uh, the first thing that uh, Gary McIntosh talks about is, is getting a sense of who you are as a leader and what your strengths are. Uh, so he speaks about these uh, areas that you have as a church leader at the start or the launch of a church and the areas that you need later on in life. So finding people, keeping people, celebrating people, key uh, competencies or key sort of roles that you need in early on in a church plant. But then later on, you actually need to uh, see people mature, you need to oversee people, you know, deal with discipline issues, you need to care for people. Not to say you don't do that in the early years, but you need to do that in later years. So first of all, work out what are your strengths, how are you gifted? And then if you look on the next slide there, you'll see that Macintosh uh, then talks about, you know, your big, your big question with that first hire is actually hiring a second person who's actually uh, can fill one of these roles. So thinking through your strengths, your gifts, and then trying to find someone who can actually fill one of these other roles, so that gives you increased capacity, uh, is, is one of the first things. Now, you spoke to James uh, Harricks, who was, who was your sort of planting, uh, you know, planting pastor, or sent you out from Trinity yeah, Grove, and also yeah. a planter himself. Yeah. He had some helpful reflections as well. Yeah, we were reflecting on what's really important about that hire, and one of the things is not just thinking about what's next, but hiring for vision. That's, that's pretty key, that you're thinking about where are we wanting to go and making the decision about looking for the person in light of that. That's a very different question to thinking, 
this is what I've got to have happen, and so I need to fill that. Uh, and so working in that way, you're thinking about someone who can build teams, someone who has actually got the potential at least to work with you in figuring that out, and thinking through how you can facilitate working on the ministry, even in the early phases of a church plan. As you're doing so many things, you can create the habit of just getting in and doing stuff. Mm. But you've got to continue to think about how we're going to push for growth. I need to work on the ministry. And so your hire needs to uh, help facilitate that. Uh, an example is apprentices are really helpful there. It's a, a good, quick hire. And if you get the right apprentice who is on board with your mission, has a, has a, a focus uh, for uh, where you're heading and is thinking about outcomes, you actually can get quick wins early with an apprentice, even you know, with a church plan. Now, so, we're going we're gonna to talk yeah. about conflict a little bit later on, but... Uh, but that often happens, you know, in the first hire and in, in your first, uh, you know, your first sort of launch yeah, team. Yeah. That's where conflicts most can happen. Yeah. So have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think what you really got to be thinking about is with your staff is you want complementary uh, staff team. You want a team that isn't just all the same. That sounds really obvious, but if we don't pay attention to it, we can often just find ourselves being drawn to the people that we're like without even realizing it. And so thinking about where are the people that I want theologically and philosophically aligned with me, but their gifts and personalities are different. Uh, and I think when you think about that, you've you got to make sure you don't assume the first two. Mm -hmm. So you don't assume that the theology is aligned because we're all in the same camp because our values and what's important to us intersect with that and we need to wrestle with that. But we also need to make sure we don't neglect uh, how we're, our wiring and how we're made up and, and uh, what the gifts of uh, others are as we push into that. So just a few tips on, on helping you actually understand someone's ministry philosophy, understand their theological position. Mm. A number of guys use uh, some questions that are in the church planner assessment that we use at Geneva Push. Uh, and that, that's quite a lot of detail. Uh, but again, your first tie is really important. Uh, mm. So they go through that process to really surface a lot of those uh, values questions, but also those ministry philosophy questions as well. Um, the other thing I'd encourage you to do is actually uh, bring a team of people into that conversation. Uh, so off, uh, an often mistake I see is that a church planner will just make that decision by themselves. Again, use your team uh, around you. They're often going to ask different questions. They're going to see different things. And so, you know, don't be afraid to bring them into uh, the process yeah, of I mean, hire. One of the big things is, because it's not particularly a biblical value, we might, we might push it to the side, but chemistry kind of matters in a team. Hmm. And so life's too short, and we spend most of our time with our team doing ministry together. It kind of makes sense that we want to... I like like working with them and engaging with them, and that we uh, and we don't actually just find someone to fill a role. Uh, it's almost better to have a gap than to have someone who can fill the gap, but you just aren't connecting because that's where conflict's going to arise uh, if you don't actually pay attention to that. So that's re that's really helpful. Don't just hire for a task or for mm. a role. I just I just need to get small groups uh, off my plate. I've got so much on. Uh, actually hire for a, an outcome and give a big area of responsibility. Yeah. That's um, I think as well, you also said, uh, you know, don't hire if you lack clarity. So I think putting into place that first hire, I think that gives you an opportunity to think through your organisational structure, uh, to think through your teams, uh, and to really, you know, work hard on that role description uh, and that job description for that person. And, and to think through, okay, how will this person you know, increase our ministry together mm. uh, and what it is that I actually want to focus on as a, as a leader in the plant uh, as well. Yeah, that really helps you figure out that on and in the ministry that when I'm thinking about the plans and when I'm doing the things, uh, it's really important. Okay, so through the Learning Lab, we're going to have an opportunity just to have a few Q&A blocks. And given this is the, you know, the key overarching question, uh, were there any sort of follow-up questions that you guys had just in relation to, uh, to that? Raise your hand if you want, if you've got a question. Okay, Paul uh, Paul Young, you're at Providence in uh, Perth. What's your question? Yeah, I, um, thanks guys for that. I just want to clarify, when you guys are talking about first hire, like is that literally the first hire you're making? Or is that kind of like the first full-time hire you're making? Or like are there, are there different levels to this conversation? I just, yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- mm. I think um, yeah. So, like so, the Holy Trinity Network, for example, you know they've got a they've got a really clear model. They off- they regularly start with an admin, a couple of days person giving you uh, the plan to admin, and often an apprentice as well. So they they kind of build in that um, replication. They build in that growth. Now, not a lot of church bands have the financial resources to do that uh, from the start, and not a lot of churches launch with you know a size of sort of seventy five to eighty where they actually need you know, multiple staff members. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about that first hire, we you know, we are talking about a, a full-time hire, which could be, as, as Mike suggested, getting an apprentice, but actually that assistant minister, that second staff worker. So I've, I've talked uh, in the past about, you know, church growth and how church growth often happens. We, we kind of, you know, you see the sort of linear, linear growth charts often, but actually in, a ch- in church life, that's not often how it takes place. It actually takes place in steps. And so that first hire, um, to make the decision to find someone, you're actually, you know, you're hiring someone and you're gonna have actually an, 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 an overstaffing for a time, but in order to actually push past that growth barrier, so, you know, going from sort of 75 to 125, you actually need to employ someone you know, earlier so that you can actually push past that growth barrier. You can actually have the capacity to you know, spend more time focusing on mission or spend more time focusing on um, maturity and, and not be you know, across uh, everything else. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the other thing to say as well, Paul, is that there's an assumption, there's assumption in this and one of the key framework pieces that we want to keep pushing out to churches and church plants alike is that you want to be building teams from the start. Yeah. Um, so at the start, a church planner wants to really set you know, the agenda and be really clear about this is who we are. And so they'll be inserting themselves in the system a fair bit um, and overseeing ministry areas. But they're doing that so they can set culture, uh, they can set a foundation. But you very quickly, and we'll, we'll go on to this in a later, a later part, you very quickly need to hand over responsibility and actually build up other leaders. That'll be another significant reason why you don't push past growth barriers. And the, the thing about those three principles are, they're really important for a first full-time hire, but they're keys to anyone you put into a leadership position that's gonna really drive your church. Mm-hmm. Them being on board with your vision and understanding your driving outcomes is critical. You thinking about what they contribute to the team and how they're aligned with you and not aligned um, with gifts and personality is critical for your team dynamics, no matter whether they're one day a week, whether they're lay, um, uh, and, and the chemistry and, and, and enjoying working together um, is, is always important. It's just heightened when you're, it's really important you get it right with your first full-time hire, I'd say. And, and I mean, the other thing to say is uh, often church plants might hire a, a part-time person. Hmm. Um, often you've got a, a, lay, you know, a lay leader, I hate using the term lay, but uh, someone who's not in full-time paid ministry. Uh, they can often take over a significant role and have the capacity to do that in a part-time, a part-time uh, opportunity. Uh, that gives you the opportunity to, you know, test things out, see how the person's going, not commit to a full-time wage, um, and allows you to slowly scale and build. But also, if you've got the ability to, you know, and the financial resources to bring on a full-time person, you know, often that can, you know, that can give you a lot of uh, uh, capacity as as you move towards growth. Did you have a follow-up follow up on that, Paul, or that, that's helpful? Great. Okay, uh, Joel. Uh, Joel's at Manning can Bible I, Church. Yeah, can I ask? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, Manning Bible Church um, in Tari. Um, yeah, thanks for the comments on both, yeah, complementary teams, so different skills, but chemistry still matters. And I guess you've kind of answered my question, part-time, taking someone on part-time is a way perhaps to test chemistry. Mm. Um, So thinking through if the chemistry is going to work and what ways you can uh, wrestle with that. I think actually before you bring someone on board, the conversations you have with them uh, beforehand is is really key to give you those instincts. And if you are if you're having those conversations intentionally, if you're actually thinking through 
is there things that I can see in the way that they operate that just doesn't work with me? Are there any of those those flags? Um, that's a helpful. Doing what uh, uh, Joel said, you know, um, part time can sometimes if you've got questions, uh, and it's not a matter of we've got to have a perfect team that all works beautifully together. It's just understanding that uh, we want to we want to be different for the sake of what we're seeking to achieve and knowing that and also seeing that we can be aligned in how we work together. Uh, so if you've got someone on your team who's super organized, super structured and one who's really out there, that can be a strength, but you've got to also realize we're going to need to work hard at not making that a point of conflict mm, yeah. and actually dealing with that. I think, uh, you know, in the, in the employment contract, there's that opportunity to have a, a probationary period. So that's an opportunity to sort of have a, have a reset or at least have a, how's things going, how's things working. I think be realistic as well, yeah. have the expectation you are forming a new team, it means you've got to potentially change how you operate. Uh, it's an opportunity always when you have additional team members to learn a lot about yourself as well. Um, you know, so before, before, this, uh, pod, uh, before this learning lab started, the question was asked of one of the, the tech guys, uh, you know, are you an on-time person? Do you start sort of bang on? Uh, and most of my team knows uh, that I'm a little bit flexible with time. No uh, comment. No comment, no comment. Uh, so, so getting a sense of who you are and probably realising that you're going to need to change as you bring on other, other staff members as well is, is really important. Okay, let's start moving into, uh, into the rest of it. They're excellent questions, so can I encourage you to keep um, moving those. Uh, so for this first set of, set of uh, sections, so uh, we just want to raise some things that are more about, about your expectations and how you lead yourself. So I think, I think uh, the next big thing to sort of uh, be aware of as you think through how you make decisions in the context of church plant is to actually have uh, reasonable expectations of growth. Uh, so we did some research uh, a few years ago, on uh, the uh, you know the, the the survivability of a church plant, and one of the key stats that sort of came out there in terms of um, average weekly attendance and growth in a church plant, where a church planter had reasonable expectations about how things ought to be and how things would go, uh, they actually led to greater growth. Partly, I think that was because they were able to be in front of um, of of decisions. They'll be, be able to be proactive and be aware of things and plan uh, for, for what was happening. So can I encourage you a few things um, off the back of this? Um, what, what to expect in a church plant? One, you are, are not going to own your own facility. Uh, you're probably going to need to move uh, regularly uh, through the course of a church plant. Uh, so most church plants will move you know, more than once. Most church plants will have to deal with set up and pack up. Just to be aware of that, because you're going to have to motivate, encourage your team. Uh, there's going to be periods of uncertainty where you, you might be not able to use your building. Um, and so letting your team be aware of that, being ready for having you know, weeks completely destroyed because you're scrambling just to be able to get access to facilities is really important. Um, and, uh, and so I encourage, in, you know, in terms of having sort of reasonable expectations, really helpful for yourself to be part of a church plant. So if, if you're uh, listening to this learning lab and you're thinking about being uh, a church planter or thinking about starting a church in the future, one of the best things to sort of get right expectations is actually to be involved in a church plant yourself. If you're a church planter, can I encourage you to be uh, putting on a church planting apprentice? Mm. Uh, that's a really uh, useful way to build multiplication into, into the future of your church plant and, and to actually help someone have those uh, expectations. The other thing to say is uh, if you've been involved in sort of any sort of bivocational work, again, that's just a, a helpful thing to be uh, aware of. That'll give you a lot of, um, a lot of skills that you need in terms of the complexity of the changes that happen often uh, in a church plant. So I guess the first big point is to say, have, have reasonable expectations. And just one final point on this, I think most, most church planters have that sort of growth mindset and they're optimistic about uh, what God will do in terms of growing their church. Uh, there's a, a slide in the, in the deck just in terms of the, uh, the average growth of a, a church plant. And so in the first year, uh, in Australia, this is some research that we did in 2016, you know, most churches only sort of hit you know, 50 in that second year. Um, so have some reasonable expectations uh, for, uh, for your church plan. Mm, that's right. So, now, the uh, second thing that uh, I think we want to talk about, second big question is, 
being aware of your need to personally grow and spiritually grow. Yeah. And to really to pay attention to uh, yourself with those realistic expectations is really, really important because there's a time that there'll be lots and lots of pressure in a church plant. There's the seasons where there's a lot going on. The spiritual battle is real. You've got a core team that are really on, uh, you know, fired up to do it with you, hopefully in the beginning. That's why you're on there with the mission, but it takes a lot of energy and exhaustion. You don't know what's going on with everyone else uh, uh, in their personal life all the time. And so it can be, unless there's attention paid to your personal spiritual health and your personal well-being, uh, it's not a good environment to make the best decisions, including hiring the staff. Um, and so paying attention to that uh, and actually with, with whoever your core team is, uh, paying attention to your relationship with God on a personal level is always fundam fundamentally key to, uh, to health. But you've also got to pay attention to how you're traveling uh, and, and realize there's times where you've got to assess and reflect on how you're feeling. And there's lots of different ways to do this. You know, the classic you would have more than likely heard about self-care. There's a reason that you probably heard about it is because when we don't pay attention to it, we get ourselves into trouble. And church planning is a time that after a period where we, we can feel that the weight of that. Um, a simple tool that really just helps with that, just as an example, is if you just regularly check in with yourself and regularly check in with others, how are you going emotionally? How are you feeling at the moment? And you, and you give yourself a score out of 1 to 3, 4 to 6, and 7 to 10. And if you're a 1 to 3, it kind of raises the bar. I'm kind of in a little bit of trouble here. I need to take action and do something about it. If you're four to six, things are okay, but the question is, what do I need to do? Am I actually a four, but I'm moving it forward, I'm going okay, then you keep focusing on that. But if you're a six and you're thinking, you know what, I'm actually starting to see a trend downward, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have the danger, that you didn't get to the point where you feel like you're going to fall off the cliff? And so you've had that moment and you think, I need to actually do something about it now. And then if you're a 7 to 10, you things are going really well and there's lots of great seasons where we want to thank God and do that. What if in those moments we stop and reflect, what is actually good about this? Oh, I'm reading my Bible. I'm talking with my team about how they're spiritually going. We're working hard to deal with conflict in a healthy way. Oh, maybe we should continue to wade into those things and, and work hard to making them a habit in our church. So, so, so this is really helpful. One of the key questions you want to be asking is, how can I maintain my spiritual growth? How can Absolutely. I maintain... Uh, my physical health and actually be proactive and be putting things uh, in place. That's a really helpful tool to reflect. Yeah, and that, that's, that's just a simple way to do that. And you can do that, uh, uh, make that part of your habit to do that, to check in and check in with those that, that are on your team is really useful. And we've done it on our team, which Australia, which has been really helpful as well. And with that, to realize that understanding what makes you tick mm. um, and your habits and, and how you operate is kind of important. So if you plan a church and it's very relational, people are in your house all the time, you're having lunches, you're having dinners, you're having one-to-ones, and you do that for 18 months and you're going all the time, but actually you're wired as the kind of person who likes your own space and time, 18 months in, if you haven't paid attention to that, you might fall off the cliff. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to actually think about how do you operate? Where do I need to look after myself and my family and my team to, to continue to go on beyond 18 months? Because mm -hmm. we want church plants to not be church plants anymore because they're established and been going for many years. So that's really, really important. But as we think about that, we've got to, we've got to realize that in all these stressful moments and paying attention to ourselves, we have to be ready for conflict. And so if we're going to deal with uh, uh, conflict, we have to make an assumption that's really important that sometimes we can forget because the people who are our core team, the people that are on board with us, they're our friends, they're the people on board for mission, but we need to be aware that, that they, they can be the people that sometimes are going to cause us the greatest heartache, the greatest pain. If someone on that team that's done us with us has fallen away, they disagree with us, that they're causing strife amongst the team, being aware that that can happen and being prepared to deal with conflict well. And I know you've got ideas uh, on how to deal with conflict, Scott, but I just wanted to bring up the, the, the idea that you can't be an avoider of conflict and, and to be prepared for it because it's going to happen. But you also can't just say, oh, I, I love conflict, so I'm going to go into it. Create it. <laughs> Create it or go in head first, but have poor strategies. You've actually got to think about what you're going to do about it um, in a helpful way. So. Uh, 
I know you've got some ideas on that. Yeah, so I think uh, I think some suggestions. I, I the one of the you know be be ready for conflict. It, it's going to happen. So have that as part of your expectation in the life of uh, of a church plant. Uh, be ready for that in the first uh, you know the first twelve to eighteen months mm. of a church plant. Uh, so I'd encourage you to read a book like you know fierce conversations uh, in order to have you know good healthy uh, conflict within your within your staff team. It's actually a sign of sign of health in a, in, a, in a team that uh, that you have uh, conflict and, and tension and, and you as a planner want to create it you know you don't want to put around you a, a group of people who are actually just saying yes and uh, and just agreeing with everything you actually want a team to be planning a church and not just you I think the, the second thing to say is you as a church uh, planter want to uh, lead uh, lead and, and welcome uh, feedback I think one of the best ways to do that, you, you know, if you listen to the one thing, there's a number of podcasts on this. One of the best things just to say, if, if you're someone who doesn't like conflict, is actually to invite it and ask for it. So actually mm. regularly asking for feedback, and you can do that formally via meetings, uh, but you can do that, uh, you know, at the end of at the end of projects or at, you know at the end of a you know a month, you know, let's review church, let's evaluate. Actually inviting it means that you're actually ready for it. So when someone you know, maybe says a harsh thing or something like that. You, you're not caught on the back foot. You're actually inviting and asking for it, and, and you know, and leading it. So they're just uh, two things that I would uh, I would say, you know, to encourage you to prepare for uh, for conflict. So in this sort of section, just to sort of reflect and wrap up, uh, we've talked about having uh, reasonable ex- expectations. So the question you want to be asking is, uh, you know, what is what is going to be reasonable for for the growth and the life of this church. Um, the second area that we pushed into um, personal was around uh, per- personal health and spiritual growth. So be asking yourself the question, uh, what are the systems, what are the processes, what are the regular habits that I need to be doing in order to be ensuring that I'm actually continuing to grow spiritually and, uh, and ensuring my physical health is good as well. And then the third one, uh, be ready for conflict. So uh, conflict is inevitable. Uh, you know, so the question you want to be asking is, how do I respond to conflict? Uh, and what are some tools that I can be putting in place to, to be ready for that conflict so that I can actually be proactive and lead through it well. Mm. Okay, we want to hand over for, uh, for some questions and some reflections. Uh, Adam, Adam Cheng, Cross and Crown, Danny Melbourne. Um, one of the things that you guys said is be ready for conflict. <laughs> um, and given the average age of a church, it tends to be younger, um, and I think that naturally means there's a smaller pool out of passes you're naturally hire, particularly if you're leading the team. Should you ever hire a friend? Oh, should you ever hire a friend? <laughs> as someone who's hired, who's had, has hired friends, uh, I, I would say yes. Um, but again, just as you would hire, hiring with anyone, I think you want to be clear about expectations. Um, you know, in terms of the role, you want to also be clear probably about what is our friendship look like as well uh, going forward. Um, so there could be, you know, and so actually getting out there, the expe- expectations of each other could be really helpful. You know, I'm, I'm joining the staff team and I'm really hoping that we, we go surfing, you know, twice a week or, um, you know, we play on our local touch footy team together or, what you know, what it is. So actually actually voicing those and hearing and going, well, actually, no, I wasn't expecting that, they were, you know, or, or Adam, we go out for Korean fried chicken at least once a week together. Um, now, uh, voicing that out, um, is really helpful. I think the other thing to say is that the church is going to grow with you, and as as you, and your friendship's going to grow as well. And so, um, I think people can come on board thinking, "Oh, we're going to be tight. We're going to be working in this together." But actually, you want to be hiring someone or having someone on your team who's actually uh, leading themselves and uh, and operating, you know, operating not necessarily with with your heavy hand or with you micromanaging them. And so they're, you know, for a lot of it, they're not actually going to be working closely with you. So I think having that conversation can be really helpful. Yeah, I would say that it can absolutely work, but you've got to pay attention to the type of people that you are. And just because your friendship works, it doesn't mean that in a, in a uh, ministry team context it will. And so you've got to spend the time talking with each other and, say, and figuring out, do our personalities in a team work? And are we going to be able to disagree with each other? So some friendships really struggle to disagree with each other for example that's probably not going to be helpful in a mm. team environment and so there's some friends that I don't think I would 
uh, even though you know they've got many ministries I, I probably wouldn't work yeah. with, and there, there are others that I think actually we are really suited to working well together. Um, so you, I think you've got to do that work even more um, with those friendships, and particularly if your families are friends and deep and close together as well, that you pay attention to that. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, Adam, and uh, yeah. and I'd encourage you, uh, you know, like I'd encourage most church planners, chat with an older church planning couple, you know, you know, raise this question. Um, but even the fact that you're asking this question before you know you potentially hire someone is is just a really helpful thing to be doing. You know, to be aware that there could be some issues is is, yeah. is helpful in and of itself. There's something pretty precious though about uh, doing something significant for the gospel with your with your mates. Uh, and so if, you, if you've got that clarity and going forward together, then that, that's, that's a great thing to be able to do. Yeah. Mm. Okay, are there any other questions? Paul? Um, just a quick one, uh, because I've never quite understand the, the, um, the graphs about church plant growth. So I'm glad you guys showed that. Uh, just a couple of clarifications. Do those numbers include adults and kids? Um, and how like are those members like are they signed up members are they average worship attendant i've just never quite got my head around yeah i'll get i'll get james to put the uh put the slide back up for us um so that that slide there has the data from canada and australia on it uh it, like what i can say is it depends so uh some some of those guys will be putting adults some will be putting kids so i know in this study uh, they didn't make, you know, they didn't make a hard and fast rule because, again, depending on your tradition, uh, depending on your denomination, you know, there's different rules. But I, I think the big things that I pull out from this are that in Australia and Canada, well, in Australia particularly, we 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 often start with a, a low uh, core team or launch team number. And so one of the things that struck out for me is we actually don't launch strong in Australia. We've got a very do-it-yourself attitude. We've got a very she'll be right, um, you know, sort of approach. And, and we've also, I think in our circles particularly, we've got that real urgency about the gospel going out. And so, so we, we want to get started kind of as quick as possible. And so, um, so I'd encourage you to actually wait until you have a, uh, you know, a, a, a launch team size that enables you to um, uh, pull, pull off the wrong word, but to, uh, to, to run and, uh, you can kick and some serve goals church, quicker. yeah, run and run and serve church in you know in a way that it allows you to resource it well. Um, the other thing to say is, if you launch strong and have a larger launch team, yeah, there's generally a, a, a quicker and a greater uh, growth trajectory. Partly because it's a lot easier uh, to welcome people to a larger group. You know, in a smaller group, there's not someone like me. Uh, there's there's not a family like me or a, a single person like me, and so uh, so I find it very hard to connect and to and to break in. So, so that's the first thing to say. Second thing to say is you can see the, the difference with America as well. You know, the growth trajectory there is a lot faster, um, which is not to say that you know, uh, Australia's hard and you'll, you know, you know, you'll never see growth, uh, but I think there is a reality that you've got to plan for a slower, you know, a slower growth trajectory. The other slide that I might get James to put up there is just the conversion, you know, the conversion growth stats as well. Mm. Um, and and we, we'll come back to this sort of evangel evangelism point as well. Uh, you'll see it takes a lot of time to build momentum for mission. Um, so again, you know, again, I'd be encouraging you, have some reasonable goals around um, conversion growth. Um, aim, you know, aim for 30%, you know, 30% of your sort of launch team and core size. But realise that actually it's going to take a little bit of time to sort of get that flywheel turning over. And so momentum for conversion growth is going to happen probably in your third year. And you're actually going to see, you know, start seeing uh, not maybe not revival, but you can actually start to see uh, you know greater fruit as people become confident of uh, of the gospel delivery systems. You know they become confident of the programs as as people become more confident just in sharing their testimony and inviting people to church. Uh, so see that you know over time um, you know you'll actually increase your conversion rate. Mm. Did you have any other follow up questions on that, Paul? Is that yeah? But as a church plan as well. You're going to count, you know. You're going to count babies in the womb as, as uh, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a, as, as a person. <laughs> you're going to be trying to find numbers uh, from wherever, uh, and and that's, you know, that's great. We want to celebrate new life uh, always, but we also want to, um, you know, those those growth growth trajectories really helpful. Okay. Uh, the really good questions. Can I keep encouraging you to be uh, reflecting on those questions as well? Okay. We want to now just talk about. Um, framework and ecosystem and the importance of clarity. 
Yeah, I, we really need to, when we think about the decisions we're making, hiring being one of them, we're really uh, kind of coming back to what we're saying about your vision. You need clarity on what you're trying to achieve. Uh, that the thing that we you know, talked about in the conference that we'll continue talking about in Reg Australia is having that high level outcome crystal clear in your mind of making disciples and distilling that down into what other key outcomes actually makes disciples mature, fully formed disciples. Thinking about those things, as you see there and the, and the pentagram that you've seen before, what are those outcomes that we're wanting to see happen in these key areas of responsibility? These things, what are we wanting to see happen? We need to constantly come back and visit that. So the thinking through, where are we now as a church? From the moment a church plan is conceived to it's, to it's started and continuing on, revisiting how are we going with our, are we are, are we saying we're convicted of these things but because we're trying to keep this thing going and find a venue and keep get the money to the point we can be sustainable and and get people to do the kids ministry that we notionally have these outcomes but we forget about we forget about them because of the realities of just trying to keep going as a church plant. So coming back to that big question regularly, uh, what is the big thing that we're focusing on? Yeah. Making mature disciples in ever increasing numbers. You know, we know that from Matthew 28. That's right. But having that big question, coming back to that big question as a group, using that as the, the, the rallying point, the clarifying point as to here's what this church is on about. And so you revisit. So you constantly, you revisit how we're going in these, those areas and put meat on the bone, if you like, into regards to what does that look like in our context? What are we really wanting to see here? Mm. And, and not just let it be stagnant in something. That's what we did when we established the church and now we get onto it. So we constantly revisit where we're wanting to head. So when we go back to the now, we revisit our where, establish that, and then we seek to make plans that we've got to actually think about how are we going to do it? It's no, no good. In, we know in church plants that if you don't actually implement anything, the church is just not going to happen. So we kind of get that you need to have plans, but sometimes we just do without establishing clear plans. And so if we've got our big outcomes, we've revisited them, we need to um, go back to thinking about our plans. Um, yeah, you have thoughts on that as well. Yeah, so I, I think the second big sort of question to be asking is, um, uh, is what is my plan? Uh, so what's the big thing I'm aiming for, but then what also is my plan? Mm. Uh, now, I'm, I'm someone who is, uh, is very flexible, uh, who can change plans uh, mid-flight. Uh, you know, I like, I like to have a very loose plan, uh, but can I encourage you as a church planter, you want to have a plan up front that you keep going back to uh, so that you can actually set reasonable expectations, but also mm. so you can build a team around you as well. I think one of the hardest things is, you know, often you've got all this... Uh, you're thinking in your head and you've got all this vision in your head as a, as a church planter, uh, you actually need to put it down on, on paper so that others can see it and others can and actually be uh, one to it uh, and brought to it. And so a plan is, is not just something you do for the assessment process, but it should be a regular activity that you're doing, constantly going back to that sort of, you know, where we are, ne where we are now at the moment, what's the current reality, where do we want to be in the future, and then your plan is that how are we actually going to get there. And so regularly assessing that every sort of 12 months uh, is really important. But can I say for a church planter, one of the things you do want to do is, um, is plan in pencil. Uh, Dave McDonald, a, a planter of a church in, uh, in Crossroads, I remember him telling me that, you know, always, always plan in pencil, which is plan, but know that in the first 18 months to 24 months of a church plant, there's going to be lots of changes. As I said, you know, in your first week, you could find yourself without, um, without a building. Um, you know, or you could find yourself, you know, hoping to plant in a pub or a surf club or, you know, a really, you know, missional space and then finding yourself in an old church building because you just couldn't get into that missional space. So, so have a plan, plan uh, in pencil. I'll speak to that, this guy, an example of that is when we, when we planted the church in, in, in Adelaide, in an area with families, we planned in pencil to have more and more families come with young kids. And for, for you know, under, under God, in an area where young adults wasn't a focus, that was our biggest growth engine in our first six to 12 months was young adults. Yep. Our plans didn't really feed that, so we needed to get the pencil out again and rewrite how are we going to address what's in front of us. Great. Uh, so the, th the third sort of area that sort of couples with this uh, is a key, a key ecosystem area in terms of the serve part of your ecosystem. And so another key question you want to be asking is, uh, who are uh, the key guys I need to be investing in uh, to become you know, leaders uh, in the church? 
So a, a reason why churches and church plants don't grow is that they fail, uh, the leader of the church fails to develop uh, leaders across the church. So there's a, a really helpful uh, graph that Ed Stetzer sort of puts up in, term, in his course on, on breaking the 200 barrier and breaking growth barriers. Uh, that shows uh, how as you grow, you need to hand over significant responsibility uh, to uh, leaders, leaders of uh, team, team leaders. Um, you need to be building up uh, the serve capacity across the whole of church life. Uh, but in order to push past, you actually need to be handing over whole ministry areas uh, to people on your team. And uh, the reality is at the start, you'll be driving and, uh, and coming up with a lot of those, of those ideas because you often have committed yourself full time to the process of planting. Uh, but very quickly, you need to actually have a plan for developing leaders. And so for that, you need both, both poetry, as we say, and plumbing. You need both uh, the vision for it uh, and calling to be people to that big vision. So that's where your big thing is going to keep driving that. But you also need to have the plumbing in place, the systems and the resources for doing that. So uh, on top of your overall plan, you need to also specifically have a plan for uh, developing leaders uh, and developing leaders in increasing numbers across church life. Um, the key thing that for, I think in planning too, is it's a question of scalability, working hard at developing the skill of how you scale developing leaders. So you could not do any scale, which means you're just doing it all. And you know, Scott's just saying you can't, you can't do that. But we also got to think about what's realistic in how we scale up. Who have I got and who can I help um, go up in their leadership development? Might not mean they do a whole role that I'd love them to, but I can get them doing more leadership than they currently are. And so wrestling with that scale and pushing beyond what you're currently at is a key. And that, that is a, a challenge uh, in uh, leading a church plan to think I need to make that a priority and not just uh, see either the ideal that's out there that's beyond where I'm at or just be in the trenches doing it. Mm, that's really helpful. Okay, so uh, three big questions there. Uh, what's the, the big thing that I'm, I'm focusing uh, on? What's my plan? And specifically, what's my plan for leadership development in church? Uh, have you got uh, any questions or reflections, guys? So I reckon what that's evident of is uh, each of the guys on, the, on today's learning lab have all actually done an assessment with Geneva Push. And as part of the Geneva Push assessment process, uh, they are required to do a, a detailed strategic plan. Uh, and so from the start, that plan is being assessed, uh, is, is being given input into by experienced church planters. Um, and, um, and, and one of the great things about the network as well over the last sort of three or four years is uh, Derek's built a whole boot camp uh, where you know that sort of draft, that draft plan is really sort of pulled apart and uh, and discussed and further you know so further sort of honed. Uh, so can I encourage uh, if you are listening to this uh, learning lab um, after the fact, get assessed, uh, plant with a, a planting network who provides a coach and an, and has an assessment process that can really uh, help you shape and build your uh, your planning. Okay. Uh, given there's no questions, I'm going to go into our final block. Uh, two things that I want to I want to talk about: mission and uh, and money. Uh, and so uh, the the first uh, the first question that you need to uh, uh, in this last block that I want you to sort of wrestle with is uh, what is my mission plan? And, and I think what we see often in church plants is that most of their mission activity, most of their uh, momentum, is often built towards that launch date. And they actually don't have a plan for you know for mission post uh, launching the church. So we throw everything you know into just getting the thing off the ground, and we've got to put a lot of energy just to do that and getting launched. But then we don't have a plan. Okay, what are we what are we doing afterwards? So uh, can I encourage you to develop a mission plan? We've got some great resources on the Reach Australia website for uh, thinking about building a mission calendar, uh, building a, you know a team that is going to actually promote and uh, and and drive mission throughout your whole church. Uh, but having a having a plan that slowly builds, you know, in the first year, the second year, and the third year, and slowly builds uh, the systems and the processes and the momentum uh, for mission that you need to have. So uh, have a mission plan and have a mission plan that's not all about uh, launch. Uh, the final area that I just want to talk about is uh, is talking about money. Mm. Um, so what's my plan for actually uh, helping people grow uh, in their generosity? 
what's my plan uh, for actually resourcing this church as well? Uh, so you, you, need, you need to think on this on two levels. You need to have a plan for how you're going to be talking about money with your core team or your launch team uh, and with your church family. Uh, so, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the idols, you know, Jesus, that Jesus points out in, in, our, in our hearts. It's one of the areas of sin that we you know, often have as a blind spot. Uh, so how can you be regularly talking about um, money with your church family so that you have a culture of generosity? Uh, and uh, people are aware of, of their need to not only give church, but to resource the mission that you're on as well. Uh, you, most people, I think, are, are uncomfortable at talking about money. And so as a church planner, you've got to ready yourself to be raising up a whole bunch of external supporters, uh, but also you know, working with larger donors, uh, larger supporters for you know, key seed funding as well. So be ready to talk about money, uh, but see again it as a, uh, a part of discipling and growing your launch team as well. So be ready to have those conversations and have a plan for uh, for talking about uh, money. I was going to say, Scott, we you know we talked about when you're hiring, you hire with vision. Uh, people are motivated to be generous when they can see what it's doing for the sake of the gospel. And so, uh, being clear on that, not just knowing that, but actually how you communicate and the pictures you paint about where you're heading uh, is is really important when you're seeking to hire or you've got a project that you're trying to uh, do or you've got a building that you're potentially thinking about. Going back to why you're doing it and the vision is is really significant. Mm. That's great. So we've covered a whole bunch of questions. Um, I just want to open up the the chat uh, as well. Uh, Have you guys got any sort of final, uh, final questions? Uh, Adam, uh, Cross and Crown, Danny Melbourne. Yeah, how would you um, lead as a solo pastor in a way that prepares for a second pastor? So I can imagine that it is possible to lead in such a way now that prepares for the future, but if you've only got 40 people, it looks ridiculous if you're pastoring in a way that, look, that assumes you have 80. But at the same time, if you get stuck in the right pastoring 40, then you won't be able to do, make the transition. Mm to lead with a second pastor. So how do you lead presently in a way that gives you attention to the present, but enough flexibility to transition to having a staff team? Yeah. I think there's, there's a, some things that come to mind is there's key moments in the, the culture that you're creating in your church and the, the picture that you're painting. So onboarding new people when you're a small church, uh, your newcomer process, that moment where it's a newcomer course, uh, lunch, dinner, whatever it is, where you're painting the picture of where you want to go and where you want to be, and, and that we want more and more people to come and know and love Jesus. And we want this church to grow and painting a picture of what that looks like and what that means for you as a leader and how it's going to change over seasons. You can start to foster that from, from the beginning while not on the ground setting up a, setting up a, a church of 150 while you're 40. Which is, the, which is the whole, I'm expecting Mike to be my pastor forever. I'm expecting to be my home group leader. I'm expecting him to play the guitar at the front and be my be worship leader. Because yeah. um, he's really good. And, and that's why I joined this team. I, I, I joined because Mike and Jen are so fantastic and I just mm-hmm. want to be a part of them. But actually helping paint that picture for we're going to grow and I'm not going to be up the front all the time and yeah. uh, I'm not going to be as you know, involved in your life is really important. So yeah. setting, setting the expectations of your launch team and core team are really important. And that's where hiring is just kind of part Part of a leadership pipeline and, it, and you start that from the beginning and it's about building that out and so if you're talking about oh, uh, we want to be a church that builds people up in leadership and development and creating teams and you see and to stepping out and saying we want to uh, see other people do these things you're creating that and so getting to the point of hiring is an extension of that I, I think as well Adam uh, being being ready for the heart change that's got to take place uh, in you as well you can be doing that uh, straight away and, and what, I'm, what am I talking about there uh, it's really good when you're kind of the center of things and and you're actually leading stuff so so you actually before you know putting on a second staff member actually handing over ministry responsibilities to other people and, and delegating that out yeah. and uh, and not being you know not being the one who's necessarily getting all the credit and the praise not being the one who's at the center of it doing that early uh, I think is really important because I think that's the big value shift that you're going to make as you get a second staff member. You're not going to be the one, you know, coming up with 
you know, the plan. You're not going to be the one who's, uh, you know, developing X, Y, Z or, or meeting up one-on-one -on -one with person. You're actually going to be catching up with that second staff member and saying, how did it go catching up and doing that, you know, really deep discipleship, you know, work and catching up with that leader that I really love and I didn't want to hand over to, but I'm going to do it begrudgingly. So actually starting to do that within your teams from, from the start, I think is really important because I think that's the big, you know, that's one of the big sort of heart shifts that a lot of pastors have to make and, mm. and don't necessarily want to. You've got to be self-aware. I mean, you've got to be aware, do I like to do everything? And am I a bit of a control freak? Which, you know, pastors often have a, some element of that because you've got to be prepared to be aware. I don't like letting go of this, but for the sake of growth, I have to. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, we've probably got time for one more question. Uh, Joel. Yeah, yeah, just um, um, piggybacking off that. Um, I, yeah, one bit of advice I was given um, was about, you know, first hire and, you know, as a church plan, you just don't want that to be um, mission or, uh, like, within that ecosystem, mission type thing, maturity, you want to keep driving them um, as, uh, yeah, really lead pastor. I don't know, can you guys just make comments on the, the wisdom of that or... I think I think the Macintosh diagram is really helpful. I think you got to understand who who you are. So, uh, if if mission is you know if mission is what you're strong at and what you're passionate about, what you're good at, uh, then I I would probably be saying keep keep doing it. You know, um, uh, if if you're more down the sort of pastoral care maturity sort of teach pastor side, uh, then I'd be trying to find someone who, you know, mission is you know mission is a uh, you know, something that, that you know they just imbibe and, and it's who, who they are. Uh, but in saying that, just because you've handed over mission to someone, you need to keep being responsible. You are the you know you are the mission leader. Mm -hmm. You've still got to be you know practicing it, modelling it, uh, leading it. Uh, but you're just going to be leading the system and the structure through that person. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't have a hard and fast for you hire you hire a, a mission person or you hire you know hire something else. Um, I think you've got to look at look to who you are and your gifts. Yeah, I think the key question is, are you as a senior leader the vision leader uh, of the church? And if you're doing that, then how it breaks up is, is uh, what's going to work. Well, really uh, thankful for all those questions. That's been a really helpful learning lab. And uh, you, you guys have asked some you know, really good questions on how to make the most of your first hire. It's a crucial decision. There's a whole bunch of resources on the reachaustralia.com website. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of resources on the GenevaPush.com resource library as well. So I'd encourage you to check those out. But importantly, speak with uh, someone who's planted a church before. Speak with a senior pastor. We have got lots of you know, uh, helpful people resource throughout our whole ecosystem in Australia. So have those conversations. Ask them up front uh, and be ready. Uh, and yeah, we, we at Reach Australia are wanting to see uh, hundreds of healthy evangelistic multiplying churches. So can I encourage you to keep uh, you know, pushing forward with, with the gospel. My prayer is that you found this podcast helpful and that you've got one or two things that you can share with your team and implement in the next few months. Now, if you want to find out more about the 2022 Reach Australia National Conference, head to reachaustralia.com.au, save the date, it's going to be held at EV Church on the New South Wales Central Coast on the 17th to the 19th of May. So save that date and head to reachaustralia.com.au.